Daniel chapter 9, we're looking at the return of Jesus Christ and the temple. Um, This is going to be an interesting study. And if you'll forgive me, it may be a little scattered. Is that going to surprise you? I just have a lot of different nuggets from the Bible and then from current events on the temple. And we're just going to we're just going to talk about it tonight. The thing that we have to remember about the Bible is that every word is true and every word is important. In our class, we talk about the law of full mention. And that is that God had limited space. He chose to limit the number of words that he would use in the Bible. The Bible says that if all the things that Jesus did were written, the books of the, 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 books of the world could not contain them. So God chose to limit what he was going to say to a certain number of words. So that means each and every word is vitally important. So when we're studying a subject like the temple... There are so many different things about it. Um, First of all, why don't we just go to the Lord and ask him to help us tonight? Lord, please help us as we study your word, as we try to put together some clues that you've given to us from your word. And Lord, you are so wonderful to us to give us this supernatural book with supernatural truth. And Lord, this isn't a novelty. This is you giving us a timeline for your return. So, Father, please help us to to see it and understand it. And, Lord, I pray that this is a real encouragement to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 The Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So the holy city would be what? Jerusalem. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Will you mark that right there, to anoint the most holy? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. All right, so now what this is telling us, well, look at what it says. In verse 26, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now look at what it says in verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate 
even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. That passage is such a blessing, isn't it? (laughs) That's tough, isn't it? It's tough to follow. You have 70 weeks. That's what it's talking about there. There are 70 weeks. At the end of 69 weeks, at the end of 69 weeks, Jerusalem was destroyed. There's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. That gap is where we live. It's called the church age. This is, this is the age of grace. This is when God has, he has given the times of the Gentiles, according to Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. We live in the times of the Gentiles. And God has given that time for the preaching of the gospel. But when he returns, when Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be a seventh week. How many days are in a week? Seven. So in understanding the way that the Hebrews would have looked at it, that's a seven-year period. Halfway through that seven-year period, the Bible says, that this Antichrist, the one who makes the peace with Israel, is going to defile the temple. So do you know what that tells us? There's going to be a temple to defile. So here's the idea. The temple must be built if Christ is returning according to the word of God. Now, it doesn't have to happen before Christ returns. Christ can come back any moment. Amen. But before Christ can rule and reign on this earth, there has to be a temple. Um, Something interesting that I found. We understand that God gave the tabernacle in the wilderness. The Bible says that in Genesis, God called Abraham, and he said, I'll make of you a great nation. But according to the word of God, Israel wasn't really born until the Exodus. Isn't that interesting? They were born. Israel actually became a nation at the Exodus. So then at the Exodus, during the Exodus, God wanted them to build a place for him to meet with them. And so they built what? The tabernacle. And there were unbelievably specific um, instructions. And the Bible says that God himself gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle. Now, here's something that I learned doing this study that I didn't know. That's really interesting to me. Do you know that they used the tabernacle for 500 years? It was a tent. They used it for 500 years. Think about this. How about we go back to 1509? How many of you think that would be, if you had a building that was built in 1509, it would be old? Do we have anything in America that's that old? I don't think so. St. Augustine wasn't established until the 1600s, maybe the late 1500s. Where's our historians? 1580s. So the idea is we don't have anything in America that old, but the tabernacle was used for that long. I think that's really interesting. Apparently, the instructions that God gave on the construction, he did a good job. So then God said, I want a house. I want a place where you can worship me. And so he asked, he gave the instructions to David, but he wouldn't allow David to build the tabernacle or the temple. Why? A man of war, he was a bloody man. That's what the Bible called him. 
But he said he would give him the instructions and have his son Solomon build the temple. Look at um, 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 19. <clears throat> and this said David, The Lord made me understand in writing by His hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. God, with His own hand, wrote the plans for the temple. Now, who knows what anthropomorphism is? Andy? That's right. That's right. It's attributing um, human characteristics to deity. Okay? Anthropomorphism. What this is, that's what this is. Does God have a hand? God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He doesn't have a hand. But he wrote this. He wrote this with his own hand and gave the instructions to David. Now, it's interesting. Wouldn't you love to see those plans? Would that be cool? Maybe when we get to heaven, God will show us those plans if we can remember to ask. You know, we need to make a list of the things we want to ask God and, and keep it on us in case the rapture takes place. <laughs> you know, this is one of those things that I'd love to ask God about. The Bible says that God gave David by his own hand the plans, the pattern for the temple. And then he gave it to Solomon. Look at the next verse. And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? So now he, he hands down the job to Solomon. It's 1000 AD or 1000 BC, a thousand years before Christ comes. We have the first temple. The problem was the children of Israel were not faithful. In 722, the Assyrians come and sack Jerusalem. But God says, I'm going to give you some more time. In 586, the Babylonians come and destroy the temple. They destroy it. It's gone. So this first beautiful temple, it's unbelievable. What you need to know about the temple, Pastor Nathan and I did some calculations. The Bible tells us, look with me at um, 1 Chronicles 22. Verse 14. So what David couldn't build the temple, but he could accumulate the materials. So he says, now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver. All right. So a hundred thousand talents of gold. A talent is 75 pounds. 
That's a lot. So it's a gold right now is a thousand dollars an ounce. How many ounces are in a pound? So then how many ounces are in 75 pounds? More. That's right. That's right. I asked Pastor Nathan to get me these figures because I'm a mathematical idiot. So I asked my second in command to track this down for me. And so what Pastor Nathan did to come up with the number was he divided the pounds by the ounces. That would be less. <laughs> so then our problem was none of our calculators went high enough. So we got on the computer, and the, the calculator on my computer would, but it was so small we couldn't see it. So you should have seen us leaning over trying to count all these zeros. Here's just the gold to build the temple. Just the gold. $120 billion. Because God's glory is worth it. You know, Jerry Jones just built his own temple. The billion-dollar Cowboys Stadium in Texas. I think that God's glory deserves better than that, don't you? And so this, that's just the gold. Then a million pounds, or a million times 75. So what's that? 75 million pounds of silver. So now the, the gold is the gold that was used for the temple is more right now than the worldwide production of gold. More than is produced in the world in a year. That's how much gold was used in the temple. Silver more than a year and a half's production of silver. Can you imagine what this place looked like? When you walked in to the to the holy place Yet you, the, the temple on the inside was about 180 feet long. The ceiling was about 50 feet tall. What is this? Maybe 20? Roughly? So imagine 50 feet tall, about 75 feet wide, and completely covered with gold. Floor, ceiling, walls. And we're not talking about gold leaf. Solid gold all the way through. That's why in 536, when they rebuilt the temple, do you remember what the people did? They cried because they remembered the glory of the former temple. And it couldn't match up. Well, in the first century, Herod expanded the temple. And he restored it to a lot of the glory that it had had in Solomon's temple. But then in 70 AD, that was destroyed. So now... The Bible tells us, go to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 15. Um, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Okay, so here's what's going on. Remember, Brother Dalton, he did a good job explaining that to us. The rapture is not found in Matthew. 
So this isn't talking about us looking for the rapture. This is what's going to happen before Jesus Christ returns. The rapture has taken place before the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation, those are big words. When I was about 10, I loved that. I, I talked about the abomination of desolation. I didn't know what it meant, but I like saying the words. Kind of like knucklehead here. So here's the idea. The abomination of desolation is simply when the Antichrist defiles the temple. He, he makes a seven-year peace treaty with Israel and all of the nations. And then after three and a half years, he violates the peace treaty by defiling the temple. All right? That's what's going on right here. And so Jesus says, now, you Israelites, you Jews, when you see this happen, you flee because Antichrist is coming after you. Okay? But here's the idea. If Antichrist is going to defile the temple, what does that mean? There's got to be a temple. All right? So we believe that the temple must be rebuilt in order for the Word of God to be true. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the Word of God true? Then the temple's going to be rebuilt. All right? Now, um, let's see. One of the problems that we have with the temple... Oh, let me say this. Since the temple was destroyed on the 9th of Av... It's Tishbi Av. The Jews, here's what they pray. They read a portion of Lamentations, Lamentations written by Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. They read a portion of Lamentations every day or every year on that date. And here's what they say. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. What are they talking about? Next year in the temple. That's their prayer. The Jews every year and often many Jews every day pray for the temple to be rebuilt. Very interesting. Um, then. Let's talk about this. What are some obstacles to the temple being rebuilt? Well, first of all, you've got to have all that gold and all that silver. How many of you understand that the Jews are pretty good at accumulating gold and silver? And they have been scouring the globe for it and getting it. Um, one of the things that's interesting is when you look at the, at the way that the temple was built, um, in studying this, it's been fascinating for me. The altar, the brazen altar, that's not me. The brazen altar was about 48 feet by 48 feet. So that's wider than this room, I think, or close. And there was a ramp that would go up to it, and the, the priests would make sacrifice. On each corner was a horn, uh, like a trumpet. It was shaped like a horn, and the purpose of that was depending on the offering that was made, it would be poured into those horns. All right? And then that's, that's the blood offering would be done there. But that, that has to be rebuilt. But what's interesting to me, imagine in one day they sacrificed 250,000 sheep. One day. What about all the blood? Where's it going to go? 
How do you clean it all? Well, under the temple mount are um, holding tanks. I can't think of the word all of a sudden. What's the word? Cisterns. There are cisterns under the temple mount enough to hold 10 million gallons of water. They brought the water through aqueducts that came as far as 40 miles away, sometimes through mountains, sometimes around mountains. They brought the water into the Temple Mount. And the amazing thing about it is sometimes the fall was only an inch or so, you know, for uh, so many feet, just barely enough. But engineering-wise, they got the water into the Temple. They needed all of that water to purify all of it. Then there's another problem in the Temple... If a priest touched a dead body, he was defiled. And so he had to be separated for seven days and cleansed. Well, they had a special tunnel and gate to where if a priest in the temple was defiled by touching a dead body, he could enter out without having to go back through the temple and defiling the whole temple. The other thing about it is, how do you know there aren't dead bodies under you? Remember, do you think there have been a few battles in Jerusalem? So how do they know that the ground isn't defiled? Because the way they built the temple was they dug down hundreds of feet and there are arches. So there's very little ground, very little that actually touches the ground. And all of that was ceremonially cleansed. They were so careful with it. What most people don't know is that that temple mount is is catacombed. It's honeycombed with tunnels and with with. Places to store different temple implements, animals, water, all of those things. So now when you go back into the, uh, when you're up on the temple mount, has anyone here been there, been to the temple mount? I never have. I'd love to. I can't imagine seeing that. How cool would that be? But what's there on the temple mount that's going to be a problem for building the new temple? The Dome of the Rock. Third highest holy place in all of Islam. Now, I was always told that in order for the temple to be built, that mosque would have to be destroyed. Have you all heard that? Well, listen to what they've discovered. They've discovered tunnels underneath the city. They've been doing excavations. And just in the last several years, they've discovered tunnels that showed that the walls were not in the place. The walls of the original temple were not in the place that all the rabbis thought they were. If you go and you look at the Temple Mount from the eastern gate, you can do that. And you look straight across. The Dome of the Rock is over here. You can actually build the temple right next to the Dome of the Rock. How amazing is that? If you get a picture, I almost got one and put it up here for you. But if we had a picture of the Temple Mount... To the north of the Dome of the Rock is a place, it's completely empty. There's nothing there. That is precisely where the temple was and will be rebuilt. It's an amazing thing. Um, But there's a problem. The court of the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles was very large. The court of the Gentiles would go over into where the Dome of the Rock is. Why is that? How could we allow that to happen? 1967, Israel, they win the war, the Six-Day War. Moshe Dayan, the leader of the the Israeli forces, 
goes into the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem and meets with the five leaders of the Muslim Council, the, the, the Waqf, W-A-Q-F. I don't know how to say it. looks like Waqf to me. Um, so he meets with them, but here's the problem. Now, don't miss this, this, this uh, important lesson that we're going to get right here. Moshe Dayan is Jewish, but he's not a believer in God. He's not a religious Jew. And so he says, we'll, we'll let you keep control of the Temple Mount. He did it to appease the Muslims. How did that work out for him? Not good. He should have known that God cares about that Temple Mount. But he gave them control. So now it's very difficult to do anything on the Temple Mount. So how are they going to build the Temple then? Well, look at Revelation chapter 11. Verse 1. The Apostle John has been caught up into heaven. Jesus Christ is speaking to him and giving him instructions. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So this is that he is measuring the temple that will be rebuilt. So this is the third temple that he's measuring. But look at what it says. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So what happens? They're going to tread for three and a half years of the tribulation period. That second half of the tribulation period, the temple is built. It's finished. For those three and a half years, that dome of the rock is going to stay there. And then Jesus Christ returns to the earth. Can I tell you something? The mosque won't stand there long when Jesus Christ returns. I got to tell you, every time I see Satan with an attack in history against God's plan or stupid Christians or unbelieving Jews doing something ignorant to mess up God's plan, God already knew they were going to do it. Is that awesome? It is wonderful. Um, all right. Then, all right, a couple of things, and I'll go through these quickly. In order to have a temple, you have to have priests. But not just any priests, they have to come from the tribe of Levi. And then there's a special tribe, and they are the, they are the, the descendants of Aaron, and they're called the Kohanim. Kohanim. These are descendants of Aaron. Um, Dr. Ree asked me a while back, how will they know whether or not these people are actually Levites? It's been 2,000 years, folks. How are they going to know? How are they going to know about the descendants of Aaron? Because you have to have an Aaronic priesthood in order for there to be a temple. <laughs> are you ready for this? Are you, are you guys ready for this? They've done research. And the descendants of Aaron have a special variation of the Y chromosome so they can identify specifically who these people are. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. It is unbelievable. 
They now have 500 trained temple attendants. They're training people how to play the lyre, the harp, the special trumpets, the special instruments. All of those things are happening. The different uh, implements, the furniture, the furnishings, uh, all of them are being uh, uh, developed. There's one thing. I liked this one. I've got lists and lists and lists of stuff that I could tell you about. But the Mizrak. The Mizrak is the vessel that they use to collect the blood from the sacrifice. And then the priest would take it and he would pour that onto the horns of the altar. And this vessel, it was a special vessel. And when you had on, on the day of atonement, they had one that was solid silver, eight pounds of silver, solid silver. But it had a pointed bottom so that the priest couldn't set it down and defile it before it got into the altar. The other thing that he had to do was he had to make sure that it was moving because the blood could not congeal. It wasn't allowed to congeal before the sacrifice was made. Now you're thinking that shouldn't be hard. Well, you got to remember how big the temple was, how many people there were, how many sacrifices that were being made. Why was that important? Can I give you a spiritual lesson from that that's real important for us? Man, keep applying the blood of Christ to your life every day. Don't become satisfied with the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus Christ died not only for the sin before you were saved, but every sin that you'll ever commit. And if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you. Amen? Um, so that has to... The, things like that, those, the temple implements. Um, what about... Oh, this one's fun. Remember, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, we said that the Holy One would have to be anointed. We had you mark that. When Jesus Christ returns, he will be anointed. Do you know that Jesus was never anointed when he was here on earth the first time? Well, when the, 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 the ointment was broken and poured on his body, he said, she's anointed me for my burial. But that wasn't the priestly anointing. And the problem with having a temple was the ark and the, the table of showbread and the, the, the altar, they all had to be anointed with the oil of anointing. It's a special oil made of five specific ingredients, one of which is not available anymore. You can't get it. Because of the tree, it was a certain kind of tree. There are only two groves of that tree in the world. Cleopatra liked it so much, she had Mark Anthony, Anthony, plant, her, Anthony plant her one outside of Egypt. That was destroyed. When the Romans sacked Jerusalem, the priests burned it down so they couldn't defile the temple with the wrong oil. So now that oil's gone. 1947, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Remember what happened? There was a little boy, his name meant Wolf, and he had a rock throwing it in a cave. He heard something break. He went in there and he found some jars. In the jars were scrolls. And these scrolls are a thousand years old. They're copies of the Bible put there by a group of religious uh, fundamentalists, Jewish fundamentalists, called the Essenes. There are many caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. When they were excavating in one of the caves, they found a pit. They dug down into the pit, and they found something wrapped in palm leaves and skins. They open it up, and it's a jar. Inside this jar is this gelatinous stuff. They test it, and it has five ingredients. 
It's the oil of anointing. They have it. When Jesus Christ comes back, they have the oil of anointing that could not be recreated. It's there. What about the Ark of the Covenant? You know what's interesting? You know the Ark of the Covenant's been missing for 3,000 years? We could look it up. The last time, I think it's 2 Chronicles chapter 8 under Solomon. That's the last time we knew where the Ark was. Josiah has them move the Ark in, but it's not called the Ark of the Covenant. It's just called the Ark. Most people believe that that was a replica. What some historians believe is that Solomon married Sheba, queen of Ethiopia. She comes. They have a child, Menelik. Menelik stays in Jerusalem and is trained until he's 19. Sheba dies. Menelik is a devout Jew, more holy than his father. He's going to go back and rule his own people in Ethiopia. And so Solomon has a copy of the ark made for him, exactly like the real ark, because it was too far to come back to worship in Jerusalem. Well, Menelik, and this is the tradition from Ethiopia. This is the story that they tell in the Chronicles of Ethiopia. Menelik didn't trust his father because Solomon was putting pagan idols in the temple to appease his pagan wives. So they have a celebration when Menelik and his attendants are leaving to go to Ethiopia and they get the priest drunk and they, they switch out the ark. So the ark that was in the temple at that time was a replica and the real ark was taken to Ethiopia. And what's interesting is the Bible tells us in Zechariah, let me, let's look it up. Um, or Zephaniah, let's go to Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, um, okay, verse 8. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. It's interesting in 1989, there are a group of... Anyone ever heard of Haile Selassie? Haile Selassie? He called himself the Lion of Judah. Why? Why? Because there is a devout Jewish community in Ethiopia that's been there since the Queen of Sheba. Their people ruled Ethiopia until the 1200s. In the 1200s, the Muslims came and attacked them. 
and conquered them. And then in the 1500s, these Jewish people conquered it back and ruled it until a Marxist takeover in 1974. Ethiopia. Is that interesting to you? That's amazing stuff. Well, the Bible says that in the last days, as he's gathering the nations together to come against Israel, what's going to happen is there's going to be a group of people, a group of Jews are going to come back to Israel, back to Jerusalem from Ethiopia. These Jews are called the Falasha Jews, F-A-L-A-S-H. And in 1989, they were recognized in Jerusalem. And now 100,000 of them are there in Jerusalem, just like the Bible said was going to happen. The author of one of the books that I was reading on this, his name's Grant Jeffrey, he said that he spoke with three people. One of them was um, an ambassador from Canada. One of them was uh, an Israeli special forces guy. And another is Haile Selassie's grandson. And they said that when Israel had an agreement with Haile Selassie to bring the ark back to Israel. He said, but the time isn't right yet. Well, Selassie dies. Well, now the Marxists are about to take over Ethiopia. There's going to be a big problem. There's a war. In 1990, according to the witness of these three men, a plane from uh, Israel flew to Ethiopia with a group of special forces guys, and they took the ark back to Jerusalem. That's, you say, Pastor, is that true? I don't know. Grant Jeffrey says it is. But here's the deal. There is going to be an ark. The ark is going to be found in order for the temple to be rebuilt. But after Jesus Christ returns, it's not going to be important. Look at Jeremiah 3.16. We never did get to the 316s of the Bible, did we? This is a cool one right here. Jeremiah 316, And it shall come to pass, when ye be multiplied and increased in the land, in those days. See that? In those days. When you see in those days, that's always the time surrounding the tribulation period. Always. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord. They shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land to the north, uh, to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. It's just an amazing thing how specific the Bible is about all of these details. Um, okay, last one. How many of you have heard of the ashes of the red heifer? In order for there to be a temple, you have to have the red heifer. Why? Because... The, the land and the priests have to be ceremonially cleansed. Why? Because there's been death there. 
if there's been a dead body there or if those people have ever touched anything that died, they can't perform the rites of the temple. Why? Because death is a result of the fall and we fell because of sin. So it's got to be cleansed. The problem is you have to have the ashes of a red heifer in order to do that. The last time a red heifer was sacrificed, we have the record of it. It was, it was 68 A.D., right before the destruction of the temple. Uh, Maimonides, the, he, he's called... Um, oh, it doesn't matter. He is from about the 1200s. He is the most famous of the Jewish scholars and historians. And according to him, there were only nine red heifers ever sacrificed. And what they would do is they would keep a portion of those ashes. Those ashes would be mixed with the water and with hyssop and with uh, a cedar oil. And it was a a special concoction that was made. But you had to have the ashes of the red heifer. The only problem is there's no red heifers. They're gone. We don't have them anymore. And so what they did was they took and they buried a jar. Well, what they would do is they would sacrifice the red heifer. The red heifer was sacrificed outside of the gate. The other sacrifices were done inside the gate. All the other sacrifices were male. The heifer was female. It's interesting. Jesus Christ was sacrificed to purify us outside the gate. And he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a female slave. The Bible is so consistent in all of these things. But the red heifer had to be killed, sacrificed, burned, and then to ashes. Then what they would do is they would keep a portion of those ashes in this jar that was made of clay and dung from the red heifer. Nice, huh? But that's what they would do. And they would keep it so that there was a a perpetual sacrifice from the first red heifer on through the end. And I think that information is given us in Numbers chapter 19. So now, in order to be obedient to that, you have to have the ashes of the red heifer. Well, so what Israel did when they decided to start building the temple again, um, they tried to locate one. And they found species in Finland and then in the United States and in 1997. In the Israeli papers, there was a red heifer that was born. And the Bible describes the red heifer. It must be, um, let's, let's go ahead and look at it. It's Exodus chapter 36. Look at Numbers, sorry. Numbers chapter 19. (laughs) Numbers 19 and verse 2. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. 
And Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the, before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood, with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in water and afterward he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until the even. Why? Because he killed the, the heifer. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. All right. So now here's what they would do. They would take that and they would mix it with the hyssop and with the other ingredients. And they would wash with that. And it would cleanse them. And so you have to have those ashes in order to have the ceremonial cleansing, in order to have the temple. But here's what's amazing about that. There's many things that are amazing about it. But one of the things that's amazing about this is that hyssop oil and cedar oil are antibacterial. They're still used in medicine. So it really did cleanse. It, it, we wonder why the Jews made it through the plagues. Because they were ceremonially clean. That's, now, you got to understand, doctors didn't know that until the 1880s about, about cleanliness and hygiene. They didn't know. God did all the way back in the book of Numbers. That's awesome, isn't it? But that's one thing, another thing that they are doing for the temple. Now, here's the deal. They don't have to find that jar. That jar's been buried somewhere. They think they know where it is in one of the caves at Qumran. But... They don't have to have it because they're going to find another heifer and they're going to sacrifice it. Those are things that have to happen. Um, let's see if there's anything else that I want to give you. Okay, the last thing that we'll talk about. Did I say that about the heifer? The, the last thing that we'll talk about is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the, the ruling body, the legal body in Israel that make the laws. All right. You have to have the Sanhedrin in order for there to be priests. You have to have that. So there are what they have done. Israel has elected the Sanhedrin in October of 2004. They were gathered together. Seventy one men. One as a ruler. Seventy as the lawmakers. Um, in on January 20th of 2005, they began ruling. And one of the first things they did was they asked all the people who were doing investigations about the temple to bring them architectural drawings for the rebuilding of the temple. They have already begun making the garments for the priests. The, one of the things that they had to have... I'm sorry, i got to tell you this. The, one, one of the problems with rebuilding the temple was the priest has to wear a garment and some of the garments, they have to be dyed with a specific blue dye that doesn't exist anymore. Well, some divers just found this special snail. It's called, what's it called? It's called a snail. It's called a hillazon snail. 
And out of that, they're able to make this blue dye. All of the pieces are coming together for them rebuilding the temple. It's all happening. The oil of anointing, the blue dye, the red heifer, the Levites and the descendants of Aaron, the Mizrach, the altar of offering, the table of showbread, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, all of these things, they're all coming back together. And do you know what that tells us? There's going to be a temple. And I think that we'll probably see it. Amazing stuff. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is returning soon. He is returning soon. We are living in the last of the last days. What an amazing time to live. Um, let's look at a passage of Scripture here. And we'll be done. Look with me at Amos chapter 9. This again is speaking of when Jesus Christ returns. And if you look at chapter 11, or, or chapter 9, verse 11, the Bible says, In that day, so does that give us the time frame? In that day, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen? and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. It's going to happen, folks. Why? Because they found the ashes of the red heifer? No. Because the Bible tells us it will.